good to be here this evening. Um, I am responsible for concluding our studies in 2 Timothy. So we'll be going through chapter 4, verse 9 to 22. So if you have your Bible here, please do look that up. This is Paul's final written word in scripture prior to his execution. And the passage continues the main theme of Paul's letter to Timothy of perseverance in Christian ministry. Perseverance in Christian ministry, that is service to God. And this is despite suffering. Therefore, I've titled the message, Preparing for Seasons of Difficulty. And it's amazing for me personally to think of Paul's perseverance in his work for Christ and the impact that this has had on human history. And we see that because of his life and his letters, they have had a remarkable impact on us today. And almost 2,000 years after his death, there are over 18 places named St. Paul around the world. And even Brazil's largest city, Uh, Sao Paulo has over 12 million inhabitants, is named St. Paul in, I assume, Portuguese. But not only cities, countless institutions, schools, colleges, societies, and churches have been named after St. Paul. That's Paul the Apostle. And it could be argued that his limited time on earth was one of the most influential throughout human history. And without Paul's perseverance in his Christian ministry through difficult times, he would not have had this same impact on the world. We wouldn't know, uh, we wouldn't have all these places named after him today. But thankfully for us, he did persevere. And tonight we're going to glean a few insights from his final written words into how we too can persevere in our ministry, in our service to God. So uh, same with uh, Andrew Grant this morning. He said he wasn't very good at alliteration, neither am I. So I've started all my points today with B, So they do alliterate. So the four points we will look at tonight are in order to prepare for and persevere through seasons of difficulty, we are to be together, be in the word, be full of grace and be reliant on God. So four B's there, be together, be in the word, be full of grace and be reliant on God. So let's take time to read 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 9 to 22. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offence, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue, rescue me from every evil deed, and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of one Siphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. And so the first point of the evening that I'd like to go with you is that to prepare for 
and persevere through seasons of difficulty, we are to be together with fellow believers. And we see this in verses 9 to 12. Having selflessly sent away Crescens and Titus to continue in their own ministry, their service to God, um, he sent them elsewhere. We get a real sense of Paul's loneliness while in his prison in Rome. He could say, Luke alone is with me. So as Paul concludes his letter to Timothy, he pleads to him. He pleads to him, do your best to come to me soon and tells him, get Mark as well, bring him with you. Paul here has identified his great need for both Timothy and Mark to help him in his ministry of not serving himself, but serving God. We're even told in verse 12 that Paul has sent Tychicus, which I very much like pronouncing. He sent Tychicus, who he describes in the book of Colossians as a dear brother, to replace Timothy in Ephesus therefore allowing Timothy the opportunity to come and help serve Paul. And there are over a hundred different names in scripture that Paul gives that form part of his kind of circle of friends and co-workers for Christ. Paul really understood that his ministry to God was not to be done alone by himself. Indeed, that it was impossible for him to do alone. And there are many names listed tonight in the passage that Paul has enjoyed fellowship with. And in his final days on earth, he sought the help of his beloved friends. And in this, I was reminded of Christ's final hours on earth, when before he went to the cross, he went to pray. And as he went to pray, he asked his beloved disciples, Peter, James, and John, to accompany him um, as he went through this agonizing time of anticipation and sorrow. In the same way, in order to prepare for seasons of difficulty, and indeed to persevere through them, we are to be together with fellow believers, helping one another, ministering to the needs of others above our own. And very practically, I thought of, you know, this could take the form of praying for others. It could be giving them advice, guidance, our time, even financial aid, or meeting physical needs. You can think of things such as food, but in this specific example, Paul has asked Timothy to bring the cloak he left in Troas to in order to, you know, keep him warm in the winter months. We're able to meet that physical need for others. And there are many different ways that we can support one another in our service to God. And by following the examples of Paul and of Christ, we are to seek to be together during seasons of difficulty. So it's really important, therefore, that we are prepared for these difficulties by not neglecting to develop the relationships with others in the church, being ready to equip and aid one another during trials. Paul emphasizes this when speaking of the different members of the church and how, how we are to serve one another in 1 Corinthians 12, 21, where he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We are reliant on others. We are reliant on others within the church to function as a body. And if we neglect to gather in fellowship and to develop relationships with one another, we impoverish ourselves of that spiritual blessing of serving others and being served ourselves in our ministry, our service to God. And I think it's interesting to note the urgency with which Paul requests that Timothy and Mark come to him. Verse 9, do your best to come to me soon. Verse 21, do your best to come to me before winter. Paul was desperate to have Timothy and Mark with him before winter, as he knew that the two required water crossings would be made difficult if um, delayed until winter. And the straight line distance, if you measured it on a map between uh, Timothy in Ephesus and Paul in Rome, is about 1,340 kilometers. 
So when he says come soon, that was a very different sense to what you and myself might say today when we say see you soon. Today we have the great blessing of accessibility to one another, both through ease of travel to meet in person, which we have very much missed in recent months, but also through internet and phone communications to contact one another when we're unable to see each other in person. Therefore, let's make sure we make the best use of these blessings, both meeting in physical contact with fellow believers where we're able to, but also maintaining contact digitally where we are able to. And this is so we might encourage and serve one another in our ministry, our service to God. And that's so when we experience times of difficulty, we have already built these relationships that we can rely, depend, trust in one another and support one another. We then come to this stark warning in the passage of a man who had left Paul. He left Paul in order to go to Thessalonica. During times of his extreme hardship and trials in prison, Paul was unable to benefit from being together with Demas. Paul 10, in Paul 10, verse 10, Paul writes that Demas has deserted me. Demas, who once Paul would call a fellow worker in his book, in the book of Philemon, had abandoned Paul in a time of desperate need. And this was not merely a spatial abandonment, but a spiritual abandonment. Demas had left Rome, we're told, because he was in love with this present world. 1 John 2.15 tells us that if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Demas had abandoned the eternal blessings offered through Christ in order to gain the world as it was, in order to benefit from what he could on earth. And John Piper has said of this that there is a love for the world that is incompatible with Christian ministry. You either have to leave the Christian ministry because you love the world so much, or you have to change the ministry to be worldly enough to survive in it because you love the world. Demas had deserted Paul, having fallen in love with what the world had to offer. And he was therefore unable to be together with Paul when he needed him most. If we are in love with the world, we will love what unbelievers love. And to avoid this happening to us, we must make sure we ask ourselves, are there any idols in our lives? Are there any idols in your life or my life that are hindering our ministry for God? Are there any idols that threaten us to abandon others and God when times get difficult? And Rico Tice, in his book, Honest Evangelism, which some of you have read, helpfully provides four questions for us to consider to help identify if there are any idols that we are elevating above God. He asks the following four questions. What is it you daydream about? Idols are the things that in reality we most care about, having, increasing, or keeping. Number two, what do you have nightmares about? Idols are the things that we fear losing, that we can't imagine life without, that keep us awake at night worrying. Number three, what do you pray about? Is there something we pray for more than for God's will to be fulfilled in our lives and our friends' lives and our loved ones? And number four, what do you need in life that if you get it means you'll then live for God? If we find ourselves thinking, yes, I'll obey God once I have X or once I've achieved Y, then X and Y are our idols. So from these four questions, we must make sure that there is nothing in our lives that we are elevating 
No idols that we are placing above God that threaten to shift our attention away from our ministry, our service to him. But unfortunately, like Demas, there will be those who permanently abandon the faith, who abandon us in our time of need, who will choose the temporary benefits of the world over the eternal riches of heaven. These are, as we heard this morning, very helpfully from Andrew, as the seed that was sown among the thorns, of which Matthew 13, 22 says, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Historic service is no guarantee of future faithfulness. Historic service is no guarantee of future faithfulness. We must depend fully on the Lord, being truly saved and born again. Otherwise, we have no foundation of faith and we may abandon God for idols when our Christian life gets difficult. Of those like Demas, 1 John 2.19 tells us, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. If we are of the family of faith, if we are Christians tonight, we will never permanently abandon God. We may stumble, but we will persevere to the end, mutually helping fellow believers during times of need and times of difficulty as we seek to serve God above all else. Solomon, of who the Bible says was wiser than all other men, wrote in Ecclesiastes 4 that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. So who is your Peter, James and John? Who is your Luke, your Timothy and Mark? Who are your fellow believers who you are enjoying fellowship with and actively seeking to develop relationships with? Who are you able to seek in times of difficulty? Who you can depend upon, who can make themselves available? Who can lift you up when you fall? Who can help you continue steadfastly in your ministry for God? We must ensure we surround ourselves with godly men and godly sisters, brothers and sisters, men and women, humbly asking them for help when we need it, while also being willing and able to help them during their times of difficulty. Moving on to my second point of the evening, for us to prepare for and persevere through difficulties, we are to be in the word. And this relates to verse 13, which says, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Paul has urged Timothy and Mark to come as soon as they can so they can help him in his ministry, but also so that they can bring him the books and above all, the parchments. And we don't know exactly what these books and parchments are because Paul hasn't specified. Timothy would obviously know what he was referring to. But it's been suggested that these are Greek Old Testament manuscripts and maybe even Paul's own notes and writings as well. Closeness to God at the end of life does not remove the need or desire to read and be spiritually nourished. Charles Spurgeon used the passage that we're reading tonight to rebuke pastors who preached but neglected their own private study. Spurgeon said this of Paul, he is inspired and yet he wants books. He had been preaching at least for 30 years and yet he wants books. He had seen the Lord and yet he wants books. 
He had had a wider experience than most men, and yet he wants books. He had written the major part of the New Testament, and yet he wants books. Meditating on God's words brings tremendous spiritual benefits, especially helping us when we are struggling through difficulties. Psalm 19 verse 7 to 8 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Meditating on scripture refreshes us, gives us wisdom, makes us joyful, and (laughs) gives us guidance. Meditating on scripture refreshes us, gives us wisdom, makes us joyful, and gives us guidance. So when we don't meditate on God's word, we find ourselves burnt out, lost, angry, and short-sighted. When Job was in his season of tremendous pain and difficulty, he drank deeply from scripture. He said that he loved God's word more than his daily bread. And Paul serves as a great example to us of a man who both absorbed and meditated on God's word. This is evident from the similarities of the passage we have read tonight and Psalm 22. In our passage tonight, verse 16, no one came to, came to my support. Again, in verse 16, all deserted me. Verse 17, I was rescued from the lion's mouth. And again, in verse 17, all Gentiles might hear it. And verse 18, bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. These are all verses that are mirrored in Psalm 22. Paul had been meditating on this psalm in prison. And it's the same psalm that Jesus quoted on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As Christ and as Paul, we must ensure that we sink our roots deep into God's word. As we heard this morning, we are to be as the seed that is sown among the good soil with deep roots so that during difficulties, Instead of allowing curses and complaints to come from our mouths, scripture should flow from them. Charles Spurgeon once again said that the believer must meditate on the word of God so much that his blood becomes bibline. If someone were to cut him, scripture should flow out. Are we all regularly meditating on scripture, sinking down deep roots so that during times of difficulty, we can stand strong in our faith, like Christ, like Paul, and like Job. To prepare for and persevere through seasons of difficulty, we are to be in the word. And we see once again in this passage how amazingly blessed we are today. Whereas Paul had to request via Timothy to bring him God's word, we have immediate access to the Bible, both physically and digitally as well as so many God-centered, Bible-saturated books that can help us increase our understanding of knowledge of God and of Christ. So are you making, am I making the most of these available blessings? The third point I'd like to look at this evening is that to prepare and to persevere through seasons of difficulty, we are to be full of grace. Quickly forgiving others, treating them with kindness, trusting God. And for this, we'll focus mainly on verses 14 to 16. Verse 14, we're introduced to a man who Paul describes only as Alexander the coppersmith. Some commenters, commentators have suggested that this man may have been one of the idol makers who is described in Acts 
19, they had lost business as people turned from worshipping man-made things to Christ. Others have suggested he is the same, Alexander mentioned with Hymenius in 1 Timothy 1, chapter 20. And these were two who Paul had handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And we don't know for certain exactly who Alexander the coppersmith was. But Paul warns Timothy to beware of him, beware of him, because he strongly opposed our message. And we're told he did Paul great harm. Alexander then was someone who violently opposed the message that Paul was preaching. The gospel that Paul was preaching, Alexander was strongly opposed to it and sought to hinder Paul in his ministry. But we can note Paul's reaction to Alexander's actions in verse 14. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Paul, who bears the character of righteousness, does not urge Timothy to enact revenge on Alexander. Rather, he leaves it to the Lord, knowing that as Romans 12, 9 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And Paul here provides us with an excellent example of how to deal with those who mistreat us. He overcomes evil with good entrusting his battle to the Lord and blessing those who oppose him and curse him. And he is imitating the Lord Jesus Christ, who 1 Peter 2.23 tells us, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Likewise, then, when we are mistreated, when we are mistreated for our faith by others, we are to be full of grace, not seeking to enact revenge as we might naturally be inclined to do, but trusting the situation to God. We then further see Paul's righteous character displayed in verse 16. Speaking of his preliminary hearing before Caesar during his imprisonment, he writes, At my first offence, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. As at Christ's trial, false witnesses had lied about Paul and his friends were nowhere to be found. And I think it's safe to presume in this situation that Paul would have been angry at his co-workers in Christ. That this would have been a righteous anger as a result of sin committed against him. Ephesians 4.26 reveals that there is a righteous anger that is not sinful when it says, Be angry and do not sin. So we can have a righteous anger over sins committed against us, but we are not to allow that anger to lead us to sin or sins such as unforgiveness. Paul may have been angry at his friends for their abandonment, but nevertheless, he was full of grace, quickly forgiving them and showing them kindness. Like Paul, there will be times when we are facing our own difficulties, when our friends will fail us. People are frail and prone to sin, just as we are. They might abandon us completely like Demas. They might desert temporarily like Paul's fellow workers. Or they might just not reach out to us in fear that they don't know what to say, making us feel forgotten and alone. But it's in these painful times we're allowed to have a righteous anger against sin committed against us. We're allowed to have a righteous anger, but we're to never let that anger give birth to sins such as unforgiveness, envy, slander, abuse, and bitterness, to name a few. Rather, like Christ and like Paul, we're to be full of grace, quick to forgive, showing kindness to those who fail us. 
Before moving on to my final point, I want to highlight in our passage an amazing act of grace of God to restore one who had previously failed Paul. In Acts 15, we are told that Paul and Barnabas were about to return to the cities where they had preached the word. And in verse 37 to 38 of Acts 15, we're told, Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take him or take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. We see here, Paul had not wanted Mark to accompany them on their trip as he has shrunk from the labour and the perils of labouring among the Gentiles. And what a contrast this is from what we read in our passage tonight in verse 11. Get Mark, bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. By the grace of God, the one who had failed Paul and whom he did not want to bring on his trip is the one who he is now requesting and who he is commending as useful for his ministry, his service to God. So we are encouraged, I am encouraged through this example, that those who do fail us, and there will be those who will fail us, who abandon us during our time of need, in our time of trials, God is able to restore them back to our ministry or to be part of our ministry to him. So I wonder how you react when others mistreat you, when they fail you. Are you responding correctly? Are you full of grace, being quick to forgive and treating them with kindness and trusting God and praying that he will use this experience, that he would use it to mature you in your faith and to give you a greater ministry in serving him? And thankfully, even when they will, others fail and abandon us. There is one that we can always, there's one we can always rely on. And that brings me to our final point of the evening, which is that to prepare for and persevere through seasons of difficulty, we are to be reliant on God. Despite his friends deserting him during his preliminary hearing before Caesar, Paul writes in verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. It was not Paul's friends who stood by him during the hearing, but the Lord. It was God who strengthened Paul. And from an outside perspective, looking in at Paul's situation, it would look horrific. A man in a cold prison chamber who was due to be under trial by the Roman authorities. Where was God in all of this? Where was God in Paul's life? But Paul understood. Verse 17 continues. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So that through me, through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Appearing before the Roman authorities was an occasion to fulfill Paul's ministry, giving him yet another opportunity to proclaim that which he had been put in prison for. We are told that the message has been fully proclaimed through Paul, that all the Gentiles might hear of it. Paul understood that as he approaches his execution, he had finished the race, as we saw last week. He had finished the race, fulfilling his earthly ministry for God, of proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles. In Satan and man's attempt to stop the spread of the gospel, they had led Paul to stand before those in authority who were otherwise inaccessible to preach the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the world to save sinners. Paul's horrific circumstances allowed him to fulfill God's plans for him on earth. God turned the curse into a blessing. 
And I wonder what experiences you have been through in your life of which you could say, as Paul did during his first imprisonment in Rome in Philippians 1.12, I wonder of which experiences in your life you could say, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What could you say of what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel? Verse 18 continues. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. As much as we may love our earthly friends and our earthly families, they are unable to do this for us. Only God could rescue Paul from the lion's mouth. Only God could rescue him from every evil deed before his work on earth was complete. And as the quote goes, I am immortal until God's work for me to do is done. I am immortal until God's work for me to do is done. I wonder what blessings God has and will bring through difficulties in your lives. So Paul's earthly ministry, his service to God, was now fulfilled. It was completed. He is fully reliant on God, trusting that he will be brought safely into his heavenly kingdom. No matter what happened to him on earth, Paul's soul was secure because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Paul knew that Jesus had taken his punishment at the cross and he had accepted Jesus as his saviour. Therefore, Paul knew that he was now declared righteous before God and that he would spend eternity with him now that his time on earth was complete. When all others had abandoned Paul, he was reliant on God, trusting in his plan, knowing that his soul was safe and secure because he had accepted Christ as his saviour. Are you reliant on God today, knowing that he will never abandon you, that he will rescue you from every evil deed until you have fulfilled your earthly ministry, your service to him. At which point, as it says, we will be brought safely into his heavenly kingdom to be with him for eternity. So as we conclude tonight, we have finished Paul's letter to Timothy, throughout which has been this recurrent theme of perseverance in Christian ministry in service to God, despite difficulty and suffering. And it is this perseverance that has allowed Paul to reach the end of his life and say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. We may never have the global impact that Paul had. I think it's unlikely that anyone here will ever have a city named after them. But we can follow Paul's example as he sought to imitate Christ, persevering until the very end. So to summarise the four points we've gone through tonight, for us to prepare for and persevere through seasons of difficulties, we are to be together, developing Christian relationships and supporting one another in ministry. We are to be in the word, regularly reading our Bible, meditating on the word and utilising Christian books as well. We are to be full of grace, quickly forgiving others, showing them kindness and entrusting the result to God. Number four, we are to be reliant on God. He is in ultimate sovereign control of our lives and he will strengthen us to fulfill our earthly ministry before we go to be with him in heaven for eternity.